Hello, Silvano Guy here with Pensando System. Last week I posted a YouTube video about the Capri ASIC and I explained that the main data path is implemented through a set of P4 pipeline. But I didn't really explain what P4 is. Today I'm here with my good friend Mario Baldi. He is also a colleague at Pensando. Mario has a lot of experience with P4. And we will do a deep dive on P4 with him. Mario, welcome to my first podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, ciao Silvano and hi there everyone. Thank you Silvano for inviting me to participate in this initiative. You know, especially I have to thank you because uh, if I'm here today talking about exciting networking technology, it's because you are the one person that introduced me to the fascinating world of computer networks. By now, it's quite a few years ago. And with that, you enabled me and inspired me to develop a really big passion for all things networking. And so what happened is that after graduating from my PhD, where, where you were my advisor, I worked for many years in academia, starting as an assistant professor at, at Politecnico di Torino in your group. And I taught for many years computer network related courses and conducted research on, on various computer network challenges. And then I also held a number of positions in both startup and established companies, um, always in the networking field. Before joining Pensando, in fact, I, I worked for a couple of years at Cisco on, uh, on a P4 programmable switch, which is when I really got involved with P4. And uh, I found that P4 has really great potential to enable new solutions and applications in switches. But when I looked at the host adapters, like, you know, the Pensando product, I think the potential is even greater. So I'm, I'm really excited about P4 and about using it in Pensando's product. So yeah, let's go ahead and delve into it. Mario, thank you so much for reminding me of a good time at Politecnico di Torino. So let's start with the first question. What is in reality the P4 standard? So let's first of all recall what P4 stands for, especially because since it's a long name, it's usually not, not completely spelled out. P4 stands for Programming Protocol Independent Packet Processor. And the name was actually the title of an article published on the ACM Computer Communication Review, which was written by 11 researchers. So a large number of researchers coming from both top U.S. universities and large U.S. companies. And th their goal was to propose a new language to specify how packets are to be processed by the data plane of a network device. So more specifically, P4 enables the programmer to, first of all, describe what packet headers look like and how they can be parsed, and then define a set of tables with keys that can be used to match entries and actions with their parameters that are to be taken when an entry is matched. At a high level, what happens is that when a packet enters a device that is uh, um, executing a P4 program to process that packet, first of all, the packet is parsed. So the various headers are parsed and the, the values of the fields are extracted. Then, a subset of the feeds that, that are extracted from the headers are used as keys in a set of tables, the tables that were defined by the P4 program. And based on which entries in those tables match the values, which entries have a key 
with the same values as the, as the selected header fields, actions are executed. And those actions take some parameters that are included in the table entry, and they go and modify the header fields, the values of the header fields, in addition to some other temporary variables that are kept by the program and that are called metadata. And then the packet, let's say, in reality, the values of the header fields and this metadata go through a number of tables that are, again, matched this way and actions are executed. Those values get modified. And at the end of this pipeline of tables, a new packet is generated using the modified header fields. So the, the packet gets modified this way as it goes through this set of tables. So it is basically similar to a packet processor. It's a form of packet processor that is particularly dedicated to process network packet. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. And, and that similarity is what made uh, P4 so successful because being so similar to the actual hardware that is going to process the packet, it's going to uh, be relatively easy to uh, compile that program to be run on that hardware. Because of these characteristics of P4 that made it so successful, a strong community from both academia and the industry has gathered to form the, the P4 language consortium that, that is often just known as P4.org. By the way, about a year ago, P4 was adopted by the Open Network Foundation, or ONF, as one of their projects. So now all of the activities related to P4 um, take place in the context of ONF. Uh, the P4 community has published a number of specifications, which together constitute what we call the P4 standards. But there are different specifications. So first of all, there is a specification of the language itself. Uh, and currently, there are two versions. The first one uh, was called P4.14, because it was initially standardized in 2014. And the latest one, uh, which is the most recent, is called P4.16, because the first version appeared in, in 2016. Besides the language specification, uh, the P4 community also um, issued a reference architecture for a node that is programmable with P4. This reference architecture is called PSA, which stands for Portable Switch Architecture. Then they also specified something which is called P4 Runtime, which is an API to be used between a P4 programmable data plane and the corresponding control plane. And finally, the P4 community identified data plane telemetry as, as a very important application where having a P4 programmable data plane can make a difference. So they specified the protocols required to support it. And in particular, a solution which is quite well known called INT or in-band network telemetry. So let me see if I can uh, summarize. This was started in the academia. It has definitely traction in the industry. There is the standard itself, and then there are models for well-known entity like a switch. Is that correct? Exactly, that's correct. Why is before succeeding where other similar effort have failed. In other words, why is P4 really relevant, not only in the academia, but also in the industry? First of all, P4 being a domain-specific language happens to have the right level of abstraction to describe 
what packet headers look like and how they can be manipulated in such a way that it's relatively easy and, and quick also to, to describe a protocol and its processing. In other words, to, to write a P4 program that processes packets, at least for processing up to layer four. The second reason is because, as I was mentioning before, the P4 constraints are such that they can be easily mapped on hardware specialized for packet processing, like, you know, the processors that you were mentioning before. And, and also a program can be easily optimized for uh, maximum performance. So these are the two main technical reasons. But then, you know, as you were saying, there were other efforts or, or initiatives to define languages that uh, uh, can be used to uh, specify packet processing. And so from this point of view, maybe, first of all, P4 came at the right point in time. It came at the moment in which uh, people were very interested in software-defined networks, SDN. OpenFlow were, was becoming popular. And so it came at the right time. It was immediately an open initiative. There are other languages that are, as I said, similar, but they are proprietary, they're not open. And secondly, the people who drove this initiative at the beginning, they were very highly regarded people. They are very highly regarded people and they were very, very good in creating a community and a, um, a movement around this language. So in your reply, you mentioned domain-specific language and domain-specific hardware. Can you detail a bit on them? So a domain-specific processor is a processor that is designed for a specific application in contrast to general purpose processors that have to be usable for any possible application. So as such, a domain-specific processor has an architecture and hardware modules that are particularly optimized to perform the operations that are required for that specific domain. So if we are talking about packet processing, as we mentioned earlier, what we are interested in doing is parsing packets. Then most likely we are interested in looking up uh, tables and finding entries in tables. So we can build processors that are particularly efficient, particularly strong in doing this. So similarly with uh, programming languages, we can have general purpose programming languages like C, like Java, whose constructs are completely general for doing general processing, or domain-specific languages like P4, whose constructs are specialized and optimized for a specific domain. And the, the example is uh, exactly what we were saying before. In P4, you want to support header processes, so you will have specific constructs to describe headers and how they are parsed. You want to look up tables, so you will have a construct that describes the table and the key and the, and the actions and so on and so forth. So when you put those two together, a domain-specific language with a domain-specific processor, you can create a compiler that compiles a program written in the domain-specific language in a very optimal way for that domain-specific architecture so that the execution is going to be extremely fast. Mario, in a previous comment, you mentioned OpenFlow, that was a big promising standard in networking for a while, but then it didn't materialize in a lot of adoption. How is P4 different from OpenFlow? First of all, if you look at the paper I was mentioning before, 
that seminal paper on P4, their P4 is in fact introduced as a proposal for evolving open flow. So it, it comes as, a, as an evolution of open flow. So let me first of all take a look at open flow. Uh, before comparing the two. So OpenFlow was created in the context of SDN, Software Defined Networks, that establishes a, a paradigm according to which the data plane and the control plane are disaggregated. Okay, and let me open a parenthesis. What do I mean by data plane? The data plane is that part of a network system that actually processes and forwards packets. Um, so in high performance devices, this is typically implemented in hardware, usually by means of an application-specific integrated circuit or ASIC. On the other hand, the control plane is the part of the networking system that properly configures the data structures of the data plane. And the control plane is traditionally implemented in software. Traditionally, the two components, the data plane, the data plane and the control plane are tightly integrated the control plane is usually implemented in the operating system that runs on the device. So the device comes as a whole, control plane, data plane in one box uh, with, the with the control plane inside the operating system. OpenFlow specifies a protocol through which the control plane can interact with the data plane. Moreover, the idea of SDN, as the name implies, is that the behavior of the network device is programmable, is software defined. So how does uh, OpenFlow decline this? So according to the OpenFlow model, the data plane has predefined functions or, or operations that act upon predefined header fields of predefined protocols. So per se, the data plane is not really programmable at a very low level, but it's programmable in the sense that the control plane stitches together those predefined data plane actions in a way that uh, ensures the intended packet processing behavior. And actually not only it stitches together those actions, but it also provides the proper parameters to those actions. So if we go back to what we were saying before about, um, about before, in general, when we process packets, what we want to do is to look up values in tables and then based on the uh, entry of the table that we have uh, matched, we want to execute an action. Now, in OpenFlow, those actions are predefined. The values that we can look up are predefined, are predefined header fields. And what the control plane does, it creates those entries in the tables with the right parameters for the actions corresponding to a certain value of the header fields. So in this way, we we program the behavior of the device from the control plane, but the data plane has predefined actions working on predefined protocols. And this, of course, has limitations. The first one is obviously the fact that only packets that conform to supported protocols can be actually processed. And the way we process them is only according to those supported actions. The control plane being programmable can change maybe the order of those actions, which actions are performed on which packets based on the values of the header fields. But we cannot process packets of protocols that are not supported. We cannot execute actions that are not supported. So just to be clear to the listener, 
I think what you are saying is specific to OpenFlow. You are pointing out the limitation of OpenFlow, and I assume you are going to tell us very soon that these limitations are not there in P4. Exactly, exactly. Actually, P4 was created to overcome those limitations. You might remember that I was saying, what does P4 mean? One of those four P stands for protocol independent. Why is it protocol independent? It's protocol independent compared to OpenFlow. OpenFlow can work only on predefined protocols. P4 can work on any protocol. You can describe the protocol in your P4 program. So in this day in which we have a lot of, for example, overlay network, and it seems that every day there is a new overlay network that is defined, P4 can be a good way to implement them. Is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Because once you come up with the new overlay protocol, you describe it. You describe how it is parsed, how uh, uh, an outer packet contains an inner packet, and uh, and you can support. And, and not only you can now support any protocol, but you can also uh, define any actions or operations that you that you want network developer can freely define any operations and uh, uh, those can can work on on any protocol so this provides maximum flexibility and you know from this point of view from you know what i was saying we can really see p4 as an evolution of openflow it makes the data plane that in openflow wasn't really programmable it makes it programmable so now we have a programmable control plane programmable data plane so basically is not a, a departure but is more like an evolution of openflow that is more hardware oriented more hardware considerative and more protocol agnostic Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that is all true. But on the other hand, one can also approach P4 and, and especially the whole P4 ecosystem completely independently from OpenFlow as a set of standards for network devices or packet processing devices whose data and control planes are completely decoupled, completely independent with a standard interface between them. And P4 is the language of choice for programming the data plane. So if I understand correctly, uh, you have explained to me that the data plane and the control plane and the management plane are very well separated. And I have heard that there is this, uh, this, this document, this standard inside the P4 community that is called P4 Runtime that sort of bind them together. Can you give us an idea of what P4 Runtime is? Let me just step back one second. So P4 is the language that we use to program the data plane. And what it allows us is to specify the format of packets and the operations that we can perform on them. But as we said, the actual behavior of a device is determined ultimately not only by the P4 program, but the control plane that stitches together those actions in a meaningful way. And the way this is done is by installing entries in the tables that the P4 program has defined and associating actions in the set of parameters that action is going to use to the values of the key of an entry. Okay, so basically the way the, the control plane is stitching together the actions that the, that the P4 program defines is by 
associating them to specific values of the header fields that are used as key in those tables. Now, P4 runtime defines an API for the control plane to install those entries in the table, install them, modify them, remove them, etc. Okay, and it's called the runtime because we use this API when the device is actually running and processing packets. So after the P4 program has been compiled and loaded on the device. So in a way, this is juxtaposing the fact that the P4 program is describing some sort of static information that is loaded on the device. And then when the device runs, it's actually going to run guided by the information provided through the P4 runtime API. And this P4 runtime API is based on gRPC. And basically what the specification does, it specifies the semantics, it defines the semantics of the various messages, and the syntax of those messages is expressed in protobuf format, which is typical of gRPC. Yes, it seems that nowadays all the API are either gRPC or REST API. My mental model for P4 runtime is the link between the data plane and the control plane. One of the most highlighted values brought in by P4 runtime when compared to other kind of APIs that also do this work that you just said that link together control plane or the data plane is that P4 runtime is said to be pipeline or program independent. So let me clarify what we mean with this and why it's important. Other APIs have messages that depend on the, on the P4 program being executed on the data plane, which means that when the data plane is changed, when you change the P4 program running on the data plane, the software that's implementing the control plane must be changed as well because the messages have changed. Okay, the messages of the API are related to the program. The P4 program. And this is definitely a problem because it means if you imagine the control plane being implemented in your operating system, this means that if you want to change the behavior of the data plane, you have to recompile your operating system, upgrade the software on the device and reboot the device. Now, the idea with P4 runtime is that the messages of the API do not change when you change the P4 program. And this is very powerful because this means I can change my P4 program. I don't have to change my control program because the messages have not changed. So I don't have to recompile. I don't have to reboot. However, I would like to highlight one of the works uh, I did in the past was focusing on how we can change the a P4 program in a device with minimum impact. The fact that we use P4 on time does not mean that we can change the data plane behavior however we want without having to modify the control plane. Because although the messages of the API are independent of the data plane program, their content is not. And let me give a very, very simple example. Let's say you have an action that has three parameters. So your API call, the, when the control plane has to provide the parameters for, the, for that action, it has to provide three parameters. If you go and you change your P4 program and now your action, instead of having three parameters, it has four, it's true that your message to provide those four parameters has not changed, but the content of the message has changed. Before it contained three parameters, now four. So you do need to change your control software. 
you need to change your operating system, your controller. So just want to give this warning. Yes, before runtime as an API is program independent, but that doesn't mean that the control plane software is independent of the P4 program that is running down there on the data plane. So if I understand correctly, if I want uh, to change where tunnels are terminated, create new tunnels, etc., I can use P4 runtime. But if I want to add a new tunneling protocol, I really need to write a new P4 program. Is that correct? Yes, I need to write a new P4 program. And, and then I will still use P4 runtime to control it. And the messages will be the same, but my controller will need to change to be aware of the new tunneling protocol that I've added and, the, and its functionality. So Mario, let's change topic. I have heard two other terms, PSA and PNA. Can you tell us what they are? Yes, absolutely. So the PSA or portable switch architecture is a description that was issued by the P4 community of the capabilities of network devices, switches or routers that can process packets according to P4 program. So as such, the PSA defines various aspects of those devices, defines an architecture made of some modules that are P4 programmable, like parsers, deparsers, match action pipelines that have these tables in which we can match a key and take actions, as well as other modules that are not P4 programmable, uh, but still they can be configured. Examples of these modules are packet buffers, queuing engines, replication engines. So the PSA, first of all, defines this architecture, then defines a set of type definitions that are supported and that can be used in the P4 programs, and then a set of predefined metadata that can be used, among other things, to control the non-programmable elements of the architecture. So if I want to control in which queue a packet is going to end up in the queuing engine, the queuing engine is not programmable, but I can set a piece of metadata that is going to specify which queue that packet is going into. All of this needs to be specified as capabilities of the architecture, the, the portable switch architecture, so that then different hardware architectures can implement those capabilities and programs that are written to be executed on this portable switch architecture on this PSA can execute on different hardware architecture. Okay, so that's the, the idea of the PSA, defining the characteristic of a typical network device so that then program can be portable across multiple hardware, specific hardware devices. There has been work also to specify a portable NIC architecture, or PNA, in contrast to the portable switch architecture. And such work started in 2018, but after a while it slowed down and, and was suspended because it was not clear how relevant the differences between a portable NIC architecture and portable switch architecture are. Now, more recently, with the uh, new programmable distributed service card that Pensando has brought to the market, there is a renewed interest in having a portable NIC architecture, a PNA. Although, um, you know, let me just briefly highlight that the DSC, the distributed service card, is not just a NIC, it's not just a network interface card. But because it does allow a host to send and receive packets through the network like a NIC, we can see how 
the PNA, the portable NIC architecture, would clearly apply to it. And based on the experience that we have matured with the DSC, the Distributed Service Card, it has become really clear that the programmable edge device, a P4 programmable edge device, call it a NIC if you wish, a programmable NIC, attached to a host and interacting with the host in a very specific way, has an architecture that is inherently different from the one of a switch over, over router. So this is where there is really a motivation and the need for a PNA different from a PSA. So we have re rekindled the interest in the definition of a PNA within the P4 community. We have uh, restarted conversations on, on PNA with the, within the architecture working group and personally involved in proposing use cases for a PNA separate and different from the PSA and working with other uh, members of the community in outlining a proposal for a PNA specification. That to me makes a lot of sense because the core of a network is becoming very simple with closed network, BGP, etc. And where the change is and is more dynamic is at the edge between the network and the host. The PNA is located in the perfect place to implement underlay network, overlay network, tunneling scheme, tunneling termination, and all this tunneling protocol that seems to change day by day. Mario, you were speaking about Pensando. Let's close this podcast by explaining which is the role of P4 in the Pensando product. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, Pensando has built a distributed services card or DSC that can be plugged into the PCI bus of a host and can be used besides for sending and receiving packets like, uh, like a traditional NIC for offloading all sorts of functions from the host CPU and consequently realizing distributed services across multiple servers in the data center. Services that run fully on the cards of those servers, so without any impact on their CPUs. Now the card is built around an ASIC that has a very versatile architecture which enables a wide range of services and applications that go well beyond those of a typical NIC or, or smart NICs to run on those cards. As a matter of fact, the DSC is just the first option for leveraging that specific ASIC. In the future, Pensando may, may consider other packaging options and form factors to take advantage of that ASIC. And by the way, if anyone would like to get a quick but very clearly overview of this ASIC, I strongly recommend the video that you have in fact posted on your blog. Uh, it is just a couple of minutes, but it's very clear and informative. Very nice video, Silvano. Very much in brief, the ASIC using the DSC has a large amount of memory. It has specialized hardware for cryptographic and compression functions and other functions that require uh, lots of resources. It has queuing systems with sophisticated packet scheduling algorithms and multiple types of programmable processors. While some of these processors are general purpose, like ARM processors specifically, others are specialized for packet processing and are organized in pipelines. So this really fits perfectly the P4 model of a program. And P4 seems the most obvious candidate for programming such pipelines. So where does P4 play a role into the Pensando products as a programming language for those 
highly specialized, highly performant packet processing pipelines on the distributed services card. And so Pensando has developed a P416 compiler for the target for those pipelines. The compiler is very valuable because on the one hand, it enables Pensando engineering to develop features for the DSCs to satisfy the, the requirements of their customers with a much shorter time to market and limited cost than would, would be required if those features would be developed in hardware. But especially, the fact that these pipelines are before programmable opens the possibility for customers themselves to develop their own services or for third parties to productize valuable applications that can be run on the cards. And very importantly, they can be run at line rate because those pipelines are designed to process packets at line rate. So this is, I think, extremely powerful because basically what customers can do, they can just start with installing DSCs in their hosts instead of regular NICs. And, you know, they, they can uh, use the network and their servers the way they were using them before. But then, thanks to the fact that the DSCs are programmable, then customers can decide to start deploying endless services, whether those services are, are developed by pensandos or, or by third parties or, or they are developed in-house by the customers themselves. They can deploy those services without performance hit on the CPU because the service is running fully on the card. So performance hit on the CPU of the host, I mean, and without needing to ever upgrade their hardware to support new services. This is really powerful. And as you Silvano were saying before, the fact that we have this programmability at the edge where much more sophisticated functions can be implemented than in the core of the network, where moreover, we are dealing only with the traffic that comes in and out of a server versus traffic aggregated from multiple servers. We are close to the applications that generate and receive traffic really opens endless possibilities for lots of new applications and services. Yeah, Mario, I agree. That really seems, and it is a dream come true for the first time in history of networking. The customer has the possibility of programming a piece of networking hardware. To the best of my knowledge, this has never happened before. And that for sure will, will open over time a lot of possibilities and a lot of interesting uh, opportunity. Mario, thank you so much for your explanation. I hope to have you soon again on this podcast. Absolutely. I would love to be your guest again. I, I truly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me. Mario and I mentioned multiple times Pensando System. To understand better what Pensando System offers, visit the Pensando System website at pensando.io. Don't forget to follow me on my blog on GitHub pages. It is silvanoguysingleword.github.io. I hope this was interesting. Thank you so much for listening.